Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. From the Fox News Radio Studios in Midtown Manhattan, it's the fastest growing radio talk show, Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Thanks so much for being here. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. So it's such an impactful show. We have so much on tap today. Uh, our guest this hour is going to be Governor Nikki Haley, Ambassador Nikki Haley, running for President of the United States. She'll be in studio. And Senator Josh Hawley, big book out today. Need his uh, legal expertise about what's going on. Also, don't keep your eyes off this. The Senate Banking, Housing, and Urban Affairs hearing will examine the failures of Silicon Valley Bank and Signature Bank. The CEO is apologizing today. Sorry for screwing up everything and losing all your money, and don't worry, the government bailed you out. Meanwhile, he cashed in days before his bank collapsed. Uh, this has got to stop. Uh, can you say claw back? I say so. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. As to, as to race... Uh, it's simply not the motivation for Danny. He is the one that put himself in danger to save who? All the people on that train, black people, brown people, white people, it didn't matter. Danny Penny's defense team begins their public fact-based pushback on what led to the death of Jordan Neely on the subway on May 1st. What's emerging is the 24-year-old is a hero. Neely was mentally deranged and everyone knew it. What the system wants is to make it about race. We will not allow that. Number two. When you see a guardsman open up a gate and let people in, the border's not secure. Imagine you go to the grocery store, you pick a number to wait for the deli, but yet these people are cutting in line. And so what about the people that are doing it the right way? Yeah, what about those people doing it the right way, Tony Gonzalez? Border buckling, despite what you hear from the White House and deceptive words from Washington, which fly in the face of the facts. Fox is finding out what is really happening at the border. Number one. Regardless, the report is now here. It has dropped, and it might not have produced everything of what some Republicans hoped for. It, it is, regardless, devastating to the FBI. You and think? to a degree, it does exonerate Donald Trump. Yes, Jake Tapper on CNN. I know. Hold on to something. Dorham drops the hammer on the FBI. 300-plus pages of damning evidence showing that the probe into the Trump campaign was without basis and would really help destroy what could have been a very successful Trump presidency, which in many ways was despite it. It showed a political agenda, and the results will still be felt. We'll examine the findings, the reaction, what it all means. With me right now is Senator Josh Hawley. He's got a brand-new book out. It's called Manhood, The Masculine Virtues America Needs. Senator, welcome back. 
Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Senator, as a, as a legal scholar yourself with this rich legal background that you have, when you looked at the Dorm Report and you got a book out, so I don't know how many of the 300 pages you had to read, but in the <laughs> summary, I mean, the, the FBI basically had no reason to launch Crossfire Hurricane, which means you had to ask yourself, why did they do it? Political agenda and well, who started it? Hillary Clinton. Who know about it? John Brennan. Who briefed Barack Obama? John Brennan. And then we watched this whole thing with no foundation take off and plague the country for four years. Yeah, this was an attempt clearly by the Clinton campaign to weaponize the FBI and to use it to try to rig a presidential election. And the truth is, Brian, as you said a second ago, they just about got away with it. I mean, they just about were able to rig the election. Fortunately, the American people didn't let that happen. But we do know that they interfered in the presidency. And this was the design all along. The FBI lied repeatedly to a court to get wiretaps first on Trump campaign aides, later on the Trump White House or people associated with the White House. This is just incredible. And to find out now from Durham that there was never any basis, at no point was there any basis to launch this investigation, what it tells me is that the FBI as we know it has got to be completely reformed top to bottom. It cannot go on like this. It has become in its current form a threat to our popular system of government where the people are in charge. This cannot go on like this. It cost $6.5 million, 480 subpoenas, countless interviews. And in the end, they came to this conclusion, which separates it from the Horowitz report, which is the inspector general. He said, well, there was a reason to look into the probe, but there was nothing there. He says, no. There is no reason to have crossfire hurricane to begin with. So basically it happens like this, an arbitrary conversation between an ambassador to Australia in the U.K. with George Papadopoulos, a man Donald Trump met once about Hillary Clinton's emails and and Donald Trump's link to Russia or a Russia offer. Spikes gets to Andy McCabe. McCabe tells Peter Strzok, launch an investigation. They focus on Manafort. They focus on Carter Page, fake Pfizer report. They focus on Papadopoulos, and they look into um, another uh, another player. So for four guys, they look into this, and this went on through the campaign, through the president-elect period, through the presidency, and through some weird, bizarre circumstances. Session gets implicated with ties to Russia, which he has none, and says, okay, I've recused myself. Rod Rosenstein says, let's do the Mueller report, and we're off and running. How much damage, in retrospect, politics aside, did that Mueller report do to this pres- to the Trump presidency? Oh, tremendous damage. I mean, you think about the, the amount of time that it consumed. You think about the amount of congressional hearings that turned out to be all fake that we had to sit through. You think about what the media did relentlessly and just the sheer amount of document requests and, and investigations that the Trump White House had to go through, all of it premised on Nothing. And this is the thing that is both infuriating but so important about the Durham report is it was based on nothing. I tell you what, Brian, I'm still waiting for all of those newspapers that gave themselves Pulitzer Prizes for covering a story that turned out to be totally fake to print their retractions and apologize to the American people. Where are you, New York Times? Where are you, CNN? Where are you, Washington Post? You talk about disinformation. What this report exposes is the corporate media are the biggest sources of disinformation in the world. So if you want to know who got the Edgar Allan Poe Award, 
BuzzFeed for their covering of this. The 2019 Prize for Specialist Journalism for the New York Times and the Washington Post for their coverage of the Russia investigation given by the White House Correspondence Center. The George Polk Award for National Reporting was awarded to Amy Britton, Rachel Weiner, and Beth Reinhardt and Felicia Sanez of the Washington Post for reporting on the allegations uh, uh, on the Russia investigation. So these are just some of the people that won big awards for this. So, and this is, you know, a huge vindication for Donald Trump. But listen to Andy McCabe, Cut 5, who was at the center of this, got fired and got his benefits reinstated, Cut 5. John Durham is wrong. Uh, and it's not just uh, me that says that. Every other entity that's investigated um, our, in our activities in 2016 agrees. And that's, of course, as you mentioned, uh, the DOJ uh, Inspector General, Michael Horowitz, uh, as well as the Senate Intelligence Committee, led, of course, uh, at the time by a Republican. Uh, uh, so this is this report, Poppy, stands as an anomaly. Uh, I have my own theories as to why it stands as an anomaly. I don't think this investigation was legitimate from its inception. So Andy McCabe says it was wrong. <laughs> you talk about the biggest human geyser of falsehoods, lies, and disinformation, to think that that guy was once in charge of much of our nation's law enforcement. I mean, let that sink in. He ought to be in jail. People ought to be prosecuted for this, Brian. I mean, that's my other big takeaway in reading this report. Where is the accountability? Hillary Clinton and her top campaign aides, like Jake Sullivan, who is now the national security advisor to the United States government, that guy, he helped fabricate this entire hoax. He did. They promoted it. Hillary promoted it. They knew it was false. And what, what accountability for them? Nothing. There needs to be accountability. Jake Sullivan needs to be out of office. And some of these people need to be prosecuted. Andy McCabe would be a great place to start. Senator, what prompted you, with all you have on your plate, uh, to write Manhood, the Masculine Virtues America Needs? You feel as though we're losing the identity of manhood? I feel like American men are under attack from the left. They're under attack from the media. They're under attack from woke Hollywood. And I've got two little boys at home, Brian. As I look at them and think about their future and think about my responsibility as a dad to help them grow into the men that they can be and that this country needs them to be, that's really what prompted me to write the book. I think men need to be encouraged and they need to be called to do better. They need to be told, listen, America needs you. You can change your family. You can change your neighborhood. You can change this country. But we need you to step up. And I think the lies of the left that manhood is inherently toxic and inherently oppressive. That's just wrong. Those are lies. We need to call them out as lies, and we need to call men to step up and be strong. Do you think women want men to be men again? Oh, I, I mean, I do. I, you know, I was, I've talked about this with my wife quite a bit. You know, this is something that, that she's reminded me of, is that strong women want strong men, you know, and vice versa. It's not as if, oh, if we have a strong man, then we have to have weak women. It's just the opposite. Strength begets strength. Strength empowers, right? So I think that all across the country, we need stronger men. I mean, look, you want to deal with childhood poverty in America? Put fathers back in the homes actually providing for their kids. You want to deal with the crisis of youth violence in this country? Put fathers into neighborhoods. I mean, the the data shows all this. We need men to be engaged. We need them to step up. We need them to be stronger. And the book is really about trying to encourage men to do that. So this is this is pretty much on your topic. This is you sparring with a trans advocate about what a man is and what a woman is and who can have a baby and who can't. I can't believe that was my introduction, but it is. Cut 33. 
You've referred to people with a capacity for pregnancy. Would that be women? Many women, cis women, have the capacity for pregnancy. Many cis women do not have the capacity for pregnancy. Um, there are also trans men who are capable of pregnancy, as well as non-binary people who are capable of pregnancy. So this isn't really a women's rights issue. It's a, it's, we can it's recognize a that this impacts women while also recognizing that it impacts other groups. Those things are not mutually exclusive, Senator Hawley. Oh, so your view is, is that the core of this, this right then is about what? So um, I want to recognize that your line of questioning um, is transphobic, <laughs> um, and it opens up trans people to violence by not recognizing that. Wow, you're saying that I'm opening up people to violence by asking whether or not women are the folks who can have pregnancies? So I'm one, I want to note that one out of five transgender uh, persons Okay, have- this, is, this, this is part of the confusion that people are not only saying, what is a real man? Now we don't know what a real woman is. No, exactly. No, you're exactly right, Brian. This is the the left's war on the very idea of gender, and they're trying to destroy womanhood as well. These are the same people who say, oh, we have to have biological men playing women's sports. I mean, since when is that a good idea? Never. But these are the same folks, and then they come out and say, oh, there's no such thing as manhood. Men are inherently oppressive. What they want, Brian, is a nation of androgynous consumers, people who just do what they're told who look at their screens, who buy the stuff they're told to buy, and otherwise are quiet, are sheep, and let the elites run the country. And what my point is, is no, we need real women, we need real men. And my message to men is, guys, you can change the destiny of your family. You can change the destiny of this nation if you will be, frankly, who God meant you to be. And the book is about that. Senator Josh Hawley, our guest, his book, Manhood, The Masculine Virtues America Needs, is now out. Senator, so... Um, when you watch television today, do you think that is helping with your message or helping with this new message? Oh, I, I think that, that the media, the entertainment industry, I think is relentlessly pushing this message to men that they're the problem. You know, that there's no such thing as good masculinity. There's only toxic masculinity. You see it everywhere. You see it in commercials, the entertainment industry, movies. Look how dads are portrayed on TV. They're usually portrayed. Again, there's been researchers have looked at this. They're frequently portrayed as either oppressors or idiots. And that, that's just the common portrayal of fathers on television. And you can look at how are, how are men portrayed on TV increasingly the same way, either as, as idiots who've got to be led around by the nose or as people who are actively bad, criminals, oppressive, abusive, etc. And I think we've got to cut across all of that. One of the ways we do that is we tell stories about who good, strong men are. And that's what my book is full of. I try to tell stories from the Bible, stories of men I know, uh, stories from American history. What does it look like to be a strong man, to be mm. a good man who contributes to his society, who contributes to his family, and again, can change the destiny of a nation? Senator, if I told you even five years ago, there really would be a need to write a book about what a man is, what would you have told me? Uh, you know, I would have said, oh, I mean, come on, is that is that really the case? But five years ago, could you ever have imagined that we would have a Senate hearing that you were displaying where the witness asks me, asks me, do you believe that men can get pregnant? <laughs> Which the answer is, no, I don't believe that. And her, her response is, oh, well, then you're violent. I mean, what kind of an alternative reality is this? And then they wonder, Brian, the left wonders, after spewing all of this nonsense, why men, especially young men, seem so disconnected, seem so depressed, seem so without purpose. The reason is 
they don't know what to believe anymore. So we got to tell them, hey, it's good to be a man. We need you to be a good, strong man for the future of this country. How about this? Doesn't this subway story play right to your book? You have a 24-year-old Marine who watches this out-of-control schizophrenic who's attacked multiple times innocent people like 67-year-old women sitting on subways, 44 separate arrests, and he's screaming, I I don't care if I die, I don't care if I go to prison for life. After watching this for a few minutes, he decides to get him in a headlock, and now he's the bad guy. Sadly, he yeah, lose, I, this guy loses his life. We have no idea how much drugs this guy was on. He walked out of rehab on his own. Now he's the bad guy instead of the hero to some people. And You know, and I, it just shows you, to your point, about how topsy-turvy our media, because they're, they're really the ones driving this, the media and the left, how they have become, where nobody says, nobody in the media says, hold on, how is it that this guy was on the subway? How is it that it is now normal? in so many cities in America, to feel threatened for your life. If you get on a, a, a subway, you get on a bus, you're walking uh, to the grocery store. And yet a guy here, this young Marine, who wants to help, who wants to protect, and who risks his own life, he's automatically vilified. Before we even know all the facts, he's automatically vilified. Yeah, I think that that's a huge problem. And it's, it's what men, this is why men, I think, young men especially, are, are so confused and depressed is because they think, well, if I, if I do you know, what, what in years past, generations past, men said you should do, if I go try to protect somebody, if I go yeah. put my own life on the line, I'm going to be vilified. And yet if you don't do those things, Brian, then they feel worthless. And so we need to send a different message, which is that men, yes, we need you to stand up, be protectors, gotcha. be defenders, be providers. All right, pick up Josh Hawley's brand-new book. It's called Manhood, the Masculine Virtues America Needs. Uh, Senator, always great to talk to you. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me. All right, we come back. I'll take your calls. And then bottom of the hour, Nikki Haley in studio, one 408 Busy day. So glad you're here. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. With supply chains becoming more complex, you need to stay on top of the latest logistics developments. So if you work with logistics, you need the Beyond the Box podcast from Maersk. It's the easy way to keep up to date with everything from digital disruption in logistics to the need for supply chain resilience in today's market. Find out more and keep ahead of the game with the Beyond the Box podcast on logistics insights at maersk.com insights. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. This is, you know, all hat, no cattle. It's a big, fat nothing. It was a failure and a, a suboptimal, I'll say, use of four years' worth of resources. This just reads like a huge waste of taxpayer money. I'm sorry. He basically, to me, copied and pasted or plagiarized from the OIG report. What can we expect if Durham eventually winds up testifying up on Capitol Hill? Theatrics, antics. This was anything but if you read those 300 pages and you do not understand that the FBI launched an investigation on absolutely nothing. If you do not understand that, then you really are blind partisan. 
Peter Strzok, Andy McCabe are despicable individuals. If you listen to Peter Strzok, he is totally delusional and without any type of self-awareness. Andrew Weissman, who led the Mueller probe, is out there saying this is nothing. This is a bombshell that fizzled out. Are you nuts? You had an investigation built on absolutely nothing, launched by Hillary Clinton, financing a dossier that was, was unverifiable by the people that wrote it, even by Steele himself. Dushenko, who got the information, said, I can't verify any of it, tried to. They offered a million dollars for anyone to step up in Russia. Nothing. But they still kept the probe going. They refused to stop it. And every time Donald Trump had a victory, they had another another Russia revelation based on nothing, which, by the way, also destroyed relations between the two countries. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX is clipped. Now streaming only on Hulu. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Information you want. Truth you demand. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Regardless, the report is now here. It has dropped. And it might not have produced everything of what some Republicans hoped for. It is, regardless, devastating to the FBI. And to a degree, it does exonerate Donald Trump. So that was stunning. It was 14 seconds. But to see somebody on CNN admit that the FBI absolutely ran an unnecessary campaign that cost millions and really put incredible speed bumps and destroyed lives uh, of the previous administration. And I'm talking about the Trump administration. And to a degree, he said, exonerates the president. It backs up a lot of what he was saying. Now, along the way, removed, but hearing about it all the time, was Ambassador Nikki Haley. She was here in New York. But she had a very direct line to Trump. In fact, there was no intermediary. That was one of the preconditions of her taking the job. She is running for president of the United States, but first she wants the GOP nomination. Uh, Ambassador, I'll ask you instead of governor. Of, uh, great to see you again. Thank you. Great to be with you. How much did this whole Trump probe affect you trying to form relations with Russia and other nations? Every day. Every day this was an issue. Every day we were hearing it domestically. Every day when I deal with other ambassadors, they were asking me questions about it. Is he going to get impeached? Should I even deal with you? Oh, and what's going to happen? How, you know, is there truth to this? They were skeptical of what was going on. It was just constantly an issue. And, Brian, this is a scandal. The idea that we would have our top law enforcement agency, one, not follow the law, but two, show that they're politically motivated. This is what you see in third world countries. This is corruption that I fought at the United Nations. And so to have it happen now, 
every person that had their hand in this needs to be fired, and every one of their senior managers needs to be fired. We've lost all in, in any sort of trust with the FBI now. They've got a lot of work to do to get this fixed. I mean, think about it. They launched it over George Papadopoulos, a guy that John, Donald Trump had met once. Did you even know him? No. Right. I have no uh, idea who he, he was. Because he couldn't get anybody. No one really believed Trump was going to get the nomination. Then when he got it, he's not going to win. So there was no substantial people signing on to his foreign policy board. So when comes Papadopoulos, they met once. He has a conversation in a bar in the U.K. with a Australian ambassador who contact uses the contacts that he had in America to alert the FBI that, hey, you know what? Hillary, uh, the, Russia wants Hillary Clinton to lose this election. They offered to help Trump. And next thing you know, they launched this investigation into Carter Page, into Paul Manafort, uh, into uh, George Papadopoulos and one other guy. So they're all uh, they're off and running. What he concludes, there never should have been a crossfire hurricane. That's what Peter Strzok named the probe that Annie McCabe told him to run. And what we need to do is we need to hear from Biden on this. We need to hear from all the senior Democrats on this. This is not a partisan issue. If this can happen to a Republican candidate, it can happen to a Democrat candidate. And this is something the American people have lost trust. And every single person needs to see accountability from this. If if Congress lets this go... If anybody lets this go, shame on them because it's the beginning of corruption throughout all of our agencies if we don't hold somebody accountable. It's nuts, I think. And if you factor in the fact that they're not pursuing anything with the Biden family and with Hunter Biden, four-year probe into taxes and gun violations should be four minutes. So I don't know how much you buy of this. But evidently, John Brennan, this is confirmed, walked into President Obama. I got to tell you something said uh, Hillary Clinton uh, to get some pressure off her and the hero scan- the the email scandal that she was using a private server to have uh, her business of the country on it and everything that it contained. And when they hacked John Podesta's email, this was a big scandal. And then James Comey came out and said, she's ter- terrible things, but I'm not going to indict her. How do you get pressure off? She goes, I'm going to launch this. This Russia is financing uh, with uh, uh, colluding with Trump to win the election. And she spends $20,000 to launch Crossfire, uh, Crossfire, to launch the, uh, to get the Steele dossier and launch the operation to tar Trump. And John Brennan briefs Obama so he hears about it. Why Trump, if you really thought Trump was being pursued by Russia, Never got the defensive briefing to say, hey, listen, four-year guys are being investigated. We think there's links to Trump. Now, they briefed Hillary Clinton, but they didn't brief Trump. John Bay, James Baker, the FBI former general counsel, evidently was told this by Durham about this whole briefing. He got emotional, left the room, came back and said, if I had known that Hillary Clinton was behind this, I never would have, he was the counsel for the FBI, I never would have uh, put this forward. Do you agree with you? Do you believe that? Well, look, I I think a lot of people have to answer questions. I think Hillary Clinton needs to answer. I think President Obama needs to answer. I think you need to go look at why did all of those people in that administration, why were they declassifying American names? Why were they spying on Americans during that time? Because it wasn't just Trump. It was multiple people. We know that. I know that the U.N. ambassador prior Michael to me Flynn was, the other was opening person. up all of those things, looking at those different names. We need to go back to the prior administration 
before Trump and see whose hand was in this. This really is corruption, and it's corruption we can't have in America. We can't start going down that track. Jake Sullivan's all over this story, and he's got this significant role as a foreign policy advisor. No, this needs to be cleaned up, and it's the same thing with, like, what Biden's got away with 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 nine family members getting paid. You can't have these kinds of things happen. And no one touched the Democrats that are involved in this. And everybody go and do these fake things after Republicans. At some point, something's got to give. Ambassador, do you believe that this is a Trump problem with the intelligence agencies, with the FBI and with the Democrats? Or do you believe any Republican to emerge with the nomination has got to be ready for this type of offensive thrust from our own intelligence networks? This this is... And you Ameri- think it'll come after you like this? This is an American problem, and this is what I will do. As soon as I get elected, I'm going into every agency. We have to gut. We have to go and pull down anybody that was in any position of authority during any of this, any of it. They're all tainted. They all have to come down. We've got to clean it up. We need to have a law enforcement agency that the American people can trust. We need to have a Department of Justice that we know will treat things fairly. And we need to pull out the political warfare that is happening in our agencies right now as we speak. Mark Elias would not sit for an interview. Glenn Simpson, Andy McCabe, James Comey, William Preston, uh, Priestap, and Rodney Jaffe. All major players would not sit down for Durham, but he still did a lot of things and put it forward. You know, the FBI said they made changes already. Do you agree? I don't trust them. I mean, at this point, I don't care what changes you made until someone is held accountable. Congress needs to call every one of those people that refuse to be interviewed, and we need to make sure heads roll for this. So a couple of things, and maybe this is too much of a leap. I think that Vladimir Putin is a modern-day Hitler, Stalin, no doubt about it. But he has been accused— for manipulating an election and allowing Donald Trump to win an election. And every time Trump tried to reapproach, they would say, listen, this is more proof that him and Vladimir Putin had this special relationship. You saw this in a way I never could see it. So I don't know. We have to be friends with our enemies. Saudi Arabia doesn't have a great government, but they were, they were in many ways they were allies. You go to walk up there and people say, why is Nikki Haley talking to a Russian ambassador? What's going on there? I dare to I say when they're in Helsinki – and I talked to Vladimir Putin. He says, I didn't do what they said you do. Do you realize that Donald Trump was actually telling the truth and that Vladimir Putin might have been telling the truth about the election? I didn't do any of this stuff that they're accusing me of. Worse than that, Brian, Putin was laughing at us. The Russians were laughing at us at all of this chaos that we had going on in America that that they were involved in. There is nothing Russia loves more than chaos. And the fact that this chaos was happening they were thrilled with it. China was thrilled with it because guess what? America was distracted, and that's exactly what they want every day. And we fell right into that trap because of political motivations of some Democrat operatives. Were there things that you could have dealt with Russia on that you really couldn't because of what was happening at the White House? The problem was there was total distrust. There was distrust of what's real, what's not real. You know, I remember having a conversation with President Trump after he had that press conference. And the things he was saying 
he looked way too cozy with Putin. And I'm like, what are you doing when you know that people are distrustful about what's happening here? You know, we've got to make sure that we're conscious about what they're doing. We didn't know what the Russians were capable of. We didn't know what they were going to do. And you look at the fact President Trump never got a moment's peace. But every one of us that were cabinet members, neither did we. Because every day, if we weren't answering it domestically from the media, we were having to answer it, in my case, from a foreign policy lens from all the ambassadors on the Security Council that wanted to know what was going on and did Russia really do it and what were we doing about it and was President Trump going to go to jail? It was endless. Do you remember he had the meeting with the North Korean leader, Kim Jong-un? And as they're flying back, they probably made some gains and they walked away from one deal and the other time was the first time they met. And right away, Donald Trump Jr. had this meeting with this Russian official who was trying to get him to get rid of the McGinsky Act. That ended up being the number one story. I go, wait a second. He just wanted met with our number one enemy. He was starting to make possibly some inroads, but certainly a lot to talk about. But that was not it. You guys do the Abraham Accords. You move the embassy. No one's talking about these historic moments. Something emerged from the Russia probe. It's bizarre to get your head around knowing it's a colossal waste of time now. You so must Brian, be frustrated can, listening to this. Can we now put that same energy into why Biden had nine family members paid on what Biden's doing with China, on what Biden was doing with Romania? Can we now start that? Because up until now, they wanted to talk about Trump and Russia. Well, you know what? Now we need to talk about what we know exists. We saw money change hands. What was the business that they did? What did the Biden family do that caused that money to go to nieces and nephews and daughter-in-laws? And, and well, what is his business? It's exactly right. His what business, is his influence, business? Uh, his influence. He can so move the levers of government. I want them to go after Biden as much as they attempted to go after Trump over something that was false. This is something we know is real. We've seen the money change bank accounts. Why don't we now go after that? There's a lot of distrust the American people have, and there's a lot that our agencies and our elected officials have to do to make it right to the American people. One thing I think is pretty clear for your career. So you run a state, a complicated state at a time, and do some controversial things at the time, taking down the Confederate flag, and you have some shootings where you're with President Obama on that, so you can go across the aisle. But looking back, I think one of the most important things you did is take that job. Or, as, you know, they was offered to you and you took it. And the other smart thing you did is say, I'll take it if I can report directly to you, Mr. President. And it turns out if you read your book, oh, there were a lot of people that wanted to make sure you weren't successful within the Trump world. Right. That was the two smartest thing you did. No longer can they say, well, she knows it domestically but not internationally. That was the rap on George W. Bush. But in retrospect, looking back, is that how you feel? Well, it's the reason I said I want it had to be a cabinet position. I needed to be on the National Security Council, and I wasn't going to be a talking head or a wallflower. That's what I told him. He was – President Trump was true to his word. It was word. almost like you were Secretary of State more than – an well, ambassador. The United Nations, when you're dealing with 193 countries, I knew to be effective, I didn't need to run through a middleman to get things done. I needed to be able to pick up the phone and tell President Trump, look, I think I can do this negotiation. Are you okay with it? And he'd say, run with it. It was trust between the two of us, but it was the fact that you're dealing with 193 countries. You don't have time to waste to get things done. When you're dealing with missile strikes from North Korea, when you're dealing with an Iran deal you're trying to get up, when you're dealing with the fact that we were moving the embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem and the whole world was condemning us, you have to be able to act in real time. And that's the reason I asked for it. I know others didn't like that I did it, but I got the job done and I got the kick me sign off of our backs. And and I guess you realize more than anybody else, too, you got to delegate. I mean, we're losing Africa to China. 
We're losing Central and South America to China. Now, you can say, why isn't Joe Biden on the phone? Well, that's why he's got a State Department, too. And there's a lot of people who should be out there going to the Congo, going to Nigeria, meeting with them. Hey, I know the Chinese were just here, but let me give you an idea of what's going on. And then you have a direct line to Blinken, and Blinken's able to get... There's none of that going on. There's no flow chart in an administration that prided itself on experience and normalcy. There were times where I'd have to go meet with the Turkish ambassador and say, why are you getting Russian missiles? What can we do to make that stop? Or, you know, you're talking with... Corrupt missile defense, you know, especially a time where we're now seeing deals done that aren't using the American dollar, which is a national security threat. Those are conversations I would have had saying, you know, we can't do this if you're going to go and do something other than U.S. currency. Like yeah, those yeah. conversations aren't happening. Those negotiations aren't happening. Like why isn't there in Argentina and Brazil? What the hell exactly are you doing? Right. We just had the Brazilian leader here about a month ago. Why is he going to China afterwards and saying, I think I'll go with your currency? Ambassador Nikki Haley running for president of the United States, working hard in Iowa, New Hampshire especially. A few more minutes with the, the governor in just a moment. Diving deep into today's top stories, it's Brian Kilmeade. Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton with Row. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my <laughs> name is Chad. His name is Jonathan. But you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. From his mouth to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. Governor Nikki Haley in studio with a few more minutes now going back to Iowa, New Hampshire. Of course, course, if you want to know more, pick up a book if you want something done. uh, If you want something done, leadership lessons from a bold woman, uh, for bold women. Uh, Governor, great to see you. So you've been out. You were out first. You've been working hard. Tell me what it's like on the ground in Iowa, New Hampshire. You know, we are there every few weeks. We're, we're not doing any shortcuts. We do town halls. We've still got hundreds of people attending our town halls and asking every question. We're shaking every hand. And recently in New Hampshire, the headline was Nikki Haley's campaigning the New Hampshire way. And they expect that. And so, you know, what you hear is people are they care about the debt. They care about inflation. They care about illegal immigration and what's happening on the border. They care about crime. They care about transparency in the classroom and how parents don't know what's happening to their kids. Americans are nervous, but they're also tired. They're ready to start seeing America strong again. They're ready to start seeing America proud again. And so, you know, we've touched every hand and we're going to keep on doing it. We're headed to Iowa this week. We're headed to New Hampshire again next week. Is it frustrating for you to work this hard and see Donald Trump with a 20 point lead on DeSantis and DeSantis with maybe a 15 point lead on you? Not at all. If you go to 2016, Ted Cruz in July, which we're not there yet, had 4%. In November, he had 10%. He ended up winning it in January with 28%. You have Scott Walker. He was above 20% at this time. He never made it to Iowa. It's early. This is about, you know, you're going to see some ups and downs along the way. And to me, it's about doing in the hard work, talking to as many people as you can, and getting why I think we need a new generational leader and the fact that I've got executive experience being a governor and foreign policy experience being at the U.N. And I've got a lot to offer and we're telling people. A few things going to change. Tim Scott's going to be in May 22nd. Then Mike Pence is going to be and he's going to start a super PAC. Um, Do you think that'll be it? 
I think so. And then Ron DeSantis. Yeah, I think after those three are in, it's hard to get to do anything past, you know, the middle of June. I mean, there's a lot of ground game you've got to cover. There's a lot of fundraising to get on the debate stage. You have to have a certain. Do you know the criteria yet? I don't. My guess is it's going to be you have to be above like one percent. I'm guessing you have to have more than 40,000 donations. You know, we in our first six weeks, we raised over 11 million. We had 70,000 donations from all 50 states. Sixty seven thousand of those were less than two hundred dollars. You got to do a lot to get to that point. And so I think anybody getting in, you know, after mid-June, it's it's really going to be tough right uh after me i think everyone agrees with that just because the way everything is right now is it um how do you explain your relationship with president trump he has not attacked you well look we're friends we had a great working relationship i called him before i ran to let him know that you know one i appreciate him giving me the job but two i was in it to win it and that i think we need a new generation we got to leave the negativity and baggage behind and we've got a country to save. And so he knows what I'm doing. He knows what I'm capable of. I mean, the reason I got out of there without a tweet is because I told him the truth. When he was doing something right, I fought for him. I support him. When he was doing something wrong, I gave him options and said we could do this differently. And, and we worked very well together. Well, yeah, as soon as you get close, it's got to change. But you're ready for that, and you'll go back and forth. He uh, knows if he kicks, I kick back harder. Governor, if people want to support you, where do, you, where do they go? Go to NikkiHaley.com. Come to one of our town halls in New Hampshire and Iowa They're in the next couple of weeks. We're going to keep hitting the trail. We're looking forward to winning, and we're going to see this through. Nikki Haley, thanks so much. Thanks so much. From high atop Fox News headquarters in New York City, always seeking solutions, never sowing division. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show from 48th and 6th in Midtown Manhattan. Heard around the country, around the world. We're going to be doing a hit with Barney and Company, maybe some surprises this hour. And we'll have a chance to let you talk about everything that's going on. And there's a lot. Uh, big AI meeting, uh, hearing, I should say, on Capitol Hill. They're trying to rein in and bring in some regulation as this thing is just booming around the country. Do you know Chatbot GBT has 100 million users already? And then we're going to be hearing from... And the SVG president, all these banks that have gone bankrupt, they're going to come out and tell their story and how they need to be bailed out uh, by FDIC. We'll discuss that. But right now, let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. As to, as to race, uh, it's simply not the motivation for Danny. He is the one that put himself in danger. To save who? All the people on that train. Black people, brown people, white people, it didn't matter. That is true. That's his lawyer. Danny Penny's defense team begins their public fact-based pushback on what led to the death of Jordan Neely on the subway May 1st. What's emerging is the 24-year-old is a hero. We'll discuss. Number two. When you see a guardsman open up a gate and let people in, the border's not secure. Imagine you go to the grocery store, you pick a number to wait for the deli, but yet these people are cutting in line. And so what about the people that are doing it the right way? Yeah, that was on Fox and Friends, Tony Gonzalez. Ford buckling despite what you hear from the White House and deceptive words from Washington, which fly in the face of the facts Fox is finding out at the border. Number one. Regardless, the report is now here. It has dropped. 
and it might not have produced everything of what some Republicans hoped for. It, it is regardless devastating to the FBI. Thank and you. And to a degree, it does exonerate Donald Trump. Yes, thank you, CNN. Jake Tapper, Durham drops the hammer on the FBI. 300-plus pages of damning evidence showing the probe into the Trump campaign was without basis. The Trump presidency never should have happened. Showed a political agenda. And the results are still being felt. We'll examine the findings, the reaction, and what it all means. The main thing that they found that I think the takeaway is there never should have been Operation Crossfire Hurricane. What is Crossfire Hurricane? That is the operation launched by Peter Strzok at the behest of Andy McCabe and the over the with the overview of James Comey into Donald Trump's connections to Russia. They looked in did an investigation and tapped the phones of Michael Flynn, George Papadopoulos, Carter Page, uh, Carter Page, and uh, there was one more. Um, there's four all together, and they've tapped in, find out what's, what they're up to. Paul Manafort, that's the fourth. And they did it to find out what Trump is, knows about a Russia trying to influence an election. They heard Russia trying to influence elections, so they briefed Hillary Clinton, but not Donald Trump. They had four members being investigated, but they never thought, let's just find out if the candidate should really know that. So they didn't. That is one criticism. Another criticism is there's nothing to substantiate any reason for an investigation like that. And then you find out and read in the text, these guys all hated Trump, hated Republicans, and they're going out of their way to do it. Then you dive into and find out Hillary Clinton did all this in order to get people to stop focusing on her emails, focus on Donald Trump and his links to Russia. Think about that. And guess who knew about it? John Brennan briefed Barack Obama. They said they never turned around and briefed James Baker and Peter Strzok and Andy McCabe on that. Instead, they said, we got these great leads. Let's go forward with it. I don't buy it. Nicole Parker is an FBI special agent. After this dorm report dropped, she said this. Cut 10. It's sad to say, but this is exactly why I left the FBI. This confirms uh, my decision to leave the FBI after serving with honor. Something of this nature takes down the entire organization. And I, I, you know, they say, oh, it's 2016, 2017, the FBI's made reforms. I understand. I was an FBI agent. I had to be held accountable for other people's choices that had nothing to do with me. Several thousands of agents that had nothing to do with this. We all had to take the hit for this. We all did the training for Operation Crossfire Hurricane when I had absolutely nothing to do with it. And then she quit. Is that unbelievable? What great integrity. Trump wrote this. His report, meaning Durham's report, took a long time because John Durham is a very tough, thorough negoti- uh, investigator. But the result is unequivocal, an absolute disaster in terms of justice. The national security implications of what they did are very grave. It turned out to be a giant and very dangerous hoax. He said, adding that he would sure have further more to say in the future. Jim Jordan, cut 12. In 2016, it was the Clinton campaign working with the FBI to go after President Trump and his election, his campaign. In 2020, it was 51 former CIA agents and and intel officials working with the Biden campaign to do the same thing. So we've seen it twice now. One, it was the FBI. The second one, it was former intel officials. But the same objective to go after President Trump and keep him from being president. This report was as tough as you could get. It said the Comey FBI failed to uphold its mission of fidelity to the law. Think about that. Failed to follow the laws, what it found. No evidence, no predicate, no evidence whatsoever to start this investigation. And I'm just outraged. I, I don't know if, if sometimes I throw out all these names 
and these people, and people get confused, and I apologize for that. But just know that she tried to deceive and pay $20,000 to a law firm to go out and commission Christopher Steele to find information and dirt on Donald Trump in Russia. He couldn't get into Russia. They would have arrested him. So this British agent sent Igor Dushenko to find information, but he didn't go either. He put other people up to it, one of which is this guy Dolan. And Dolan had connections back in Russia dating back to the Elton days with Clinton. And he went through the Ritz-Carlton and talked about this fake story about Donald Trump doing crazy things in a hotel room I won't even discuss, where there's this tape out there that's going to be held over Donald Trump's head, and they had it, and Vladimir Putin had it, and he's going to be able to extort Trump. And that became, with all these rumors, the dossier. So Christopher Steele asked Igor Dushenko, thanks, can you verify this? He goes, no. He's a rumor and innuendo. So Christopher Steele goes, I can't have this, and I'm being paid to get a, to do a, a dossier. Verified. So he gives he's a million dollars. Go ahead and get people to say I saw this. And still they couldn't do it. Igor Dushenko uh, lied in this and they indicted him, but he wasn't convicted. Christopher Steele never reported, never gave up for an interview. He tried to push this dossier in the fall before the election, say, why are people letting Donald Trump become president? He's a conflicted guy. He's involved with Russia. That is totally not true. He was lying then. I don't know why. Andy McCabe should be embarrassed. He was fired right before he retired. They reinstalled, they reinstalled his benefits, and now he's got a met network deal with CNN. You would think he'd just come out and apologize. First, here's Jake Tapper. He read this and said this. Cut Regardless, down. the report is now here. It has dropped. And it might not have produced everything of what some Republicans hoped for. It is, regardless, devastating to the FBI. And to a degree, it does exonerate Donald Trump. Yes. You know how hard that was for him to say? Cuomo never would have said it. Don Lemon never would have said it. They're both fired. No one's watching. Andrew McCabe, ready to apologize? Cut five. John Durham is wrong. Uh, That's not just uh, me that says that. Every other entity that's investigated um, our our activities in 2016 agrees. And that's, of course, as you mentioned, uh, the DOJ uh, Inspector General, Michael Horowitz, uh, as well as the Senate Intelligence Committee, led, of course, uh, at the time by a Republican. Uh, uh, so this is... This report, Poppy, stands as an anomaly. Uh, I have my own theories as to why it stands as an anomaly. I don't think this investigation was legitimate from its inception. Really? John Durham with this incredible reputation that people like A.G. Holder praised, that William Barr hired and stayed out of his way. They got $6 billion, probably very little salary, all to do an investigation, four years of his life, knows Forever, one side's going to be unhappy, and you just have to go his integrity. After you got caught, Andy McCabe, lying when you said that you did not leak to the press and have found out you did leak to the press and retired and actually apologized to the FBI. We all know that. So I'll take a short time out and give you a chance to talk on the other side. one 408 We have a lot to discuss. I do want to go over what's going on with the immigration. And on top of that, would like to go over... Uh, what's happening with the choking death of uh, of uh, that Jordan Neely by Danny Penny, who was trying to restrain him. Sadly, he lost his life. And now Penny's looking at 15 years in prison when he should be left, lifted up as a hero. I want to get your perspective. Brian Kilmeade Show. 
politics, current events, and news that affects you. Brian's got a lot more to say. Stay with Brian Kilmeade. A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. The majority of these individuals who are crossing, it's still high numbers, are coming to New York State. They're bursting at the seams, and Mayor Adams is doing the very best he can in a difficult situation. We've reached a breaking point. We need help. We need common sense immigration reform. That is Kathy Hochul finally saying something, but really meaning nothing. She doesn't want to alienate President Biden. So she says, Mayor Adams doing a great job. President Biden, we need immigration reform close on Congress. Eric Adams is living in a sanctuary city. He didn't change it. He inherited it. And he has never protested it. Because of that, 60,000 have come here. We have nowhere to put them in New York City. I mean, they're everywhere. Now they, they unmothballed the Roosevelt Hotel. Now they're putting him in six different high school and grammar school gyms, some of which are in Cody Island, way out there. So Eric Adams is basically furious because we're spending billions of dollars and on a tax base that's leaving because we tax so much and get so little with crime so bad. So Eric Adams, evidently, he's uh, obviously the highest profile black mayor in the country. President Biden needs him. And now, evidently, he's been kicked off the president's advisory council on his reelection. It looks like Al Sharpton's trying to get everybody back together. But when you do a job and President Biden's preventing you from doing that job and balancing your budget, and now he's alienating everybody as Mayor Adams, if he ever wants to be Governor Adams, because he's just sending these people out to the suburbs, to these hotels, selling them out, writing a big check, income the illegal immigrants, out go the other occupants, some of which are veterans. So guess who's run out of patience? Eric Adams with guess who? President, uh, President Biden. Meanwhile, president's, uh, the president's uh, border facilities got six, are six times over capacity. How do I know that? Congressman Rodriguez Gonzalez said it this morning. He's got the Uvalde area, said he went and took pictures and sent them out today. So far, there's uh, one cell where you can take 90 people. There are 400. You see these people just standing there at attention in this gym-like area or closed facilities they have nothing to do all day. They just sit there in our warehouse. They're supposed to be out in, I think, 72 hours. No way. Over the last 72 hours, three agents assaulted, 14,000 apprehensions, uh, gotaways, 4,300, four pounds of marijuana, one pound of Coke, $58,758, two firearms, five sex offenders, one wanted felon, all over the last two or three days. So the president said, well, I'm, I'm doing good on, uh, on immigration. You know, you're doing absolutely terrible. And I'm noticing everybody noticing that, too. Why? Because it's affecting the cities, not just supported communities. You might be saying, well, I don't care. I'm not going to win Texas anyway. Really? Because in Los Angeles, they're beside themselves. In San Diego, they're insane. They know that everything's been overrun. They're a sanctuary city. And these, um, and these people that vote for this are proud of it. Here's more from Tony Gonzalez with us today. Cut 21. 
When you see a guardsman open up a gate and let people in, the border's not secure. And that's the frustration we have is, you know, imagine in Texas, we have grocery stores called HEB. Imagine you go to the grocery store, you pick a number to wait for the deli, your number's four, but yet these people are cutting in line. And so what about the people that are doing it the right way? What about the Americans that came over the right way, that live along, along the border following the rules, and yet you have people that just break the rules every single day? It's wrong on all ends. And we're, we're very frustrated, but we're also, we, we can't stop fighting. We can't say it's okay. That's what I'm hearing, too. Everyone's going, it's not that bad. You look at those images, that's what not that bad looks like. They're all there. They're trying to figure out when the best time to go, because there's one thing, I love it. If you come, without going on the app, if you just go to cross the border, they say you're banned from coming back for five years. You've got to apply in another country. All right, we'll see how that goes. Um, here is uh, Jim Desmond. He's San, San Diego County supervisor. We never talk about California, but here's he's talking about these migrants that are being released. You know what they were doing? The, the places are so crowded, the NGOs, they're just letting people go, giving them a ticket and saying, go find an ICE, uh, go find an ICE office sometime in the next uh, 10 days. And of course, they just go into the middle of the country. We know nothing about them. Here's Jim Desmond, Cut24. You know, that's crazy they, because then we can't tra- track people. Even the ones that, that we do, you know, are, are seeking asylum and we're allowing into the country, they're getting hearing dates like three or four years out. And then for all the people that they're just letting in, you know, to me, mm-hmm. our, our whole border system is broken. We need a safe and secure border and we need border policy that, you know, that people, you know, lets the good people in and keeps the bad people out. Doesn't seem that hard. So uh, Bill Malusian got this video of, and it looked like an army personnel just walk up to a gate where thousands were on the other side, and they just let everybody in. And it was through a private farm in which all these illegals went flying in. So Bill Malusian said, I asked the Texas National Guard if this is one of their soldiers who opened up the gate for the group. They tell me she is not a Texas soldier and is not Texas uh, Air National Guard. I'm told she is a Title 10 soldier from the Missouri area under orders from the federal government to open up the gate. The other thing, don't let anybody tell you these walls don't work. They absolutely work. They're able to ferry a lot of the population to these ports. They're able to block people who wouldn't even try. And some of this fence that the president put up for over 400 miles was basically a split rail fence so that other cross those X's that were there from maybe the Revolutionary War. Those are those are not real fences. The president paid for a wall that's sitting literally in Texas in the middle of McCallum and other places. It's just stacked up, rusting, because we refuse to use it. What a waste that is, if you ask me. So uh, more on that in uh, more on that in just a moment, the other big story. And I'm going to be talking to Andy McCarthy about the dorm report in a moment. So I want to talk about Danny Penny, the 24-year-old Marine veteran. Uh, His attorney was on yesterday giving his point of view after the ridiculous speeches that we heard last week from the family of the uh, of the uh, victim. So Jordan Nelly. So Jordan Nelly's family spoke. Now it's time for Steve Razor, Danny Penny's attorney. Cut 25. He was fearful for the safety of those passengers. When he acted, his mindset was to keep his fellow passengers safe from attack, nearly entering the train and acting in a very violent manner, both physically and with words. He would say, 
things to the effect that, you know, I need certain things. I need food. I need this or that. And if I don't get it, I don't care if I go to prison for the rest of my life. And the passengers actually have said that they interpreted that mean, well, when would you go to prison for the rest of your life if you kill somebody? So everybody got the message. There was a period of time where the situation kind of developed, you know, a period of time to be able to observe Mr. Neely, you know, swinging his arms at passengers, throwing his jacket down, um, making threats. Unbelievable. He did the right thing. The guy was known as one of the most dangerous homeless people out there, top 50. Believe it or not, they ranked him. Didn't want him to lose his life, but someone had to rein this guy in. How many people, if you were a vulnerable person at an older age, wouldn't want Danny Petty on that subway with you? A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. And when you have the IG already doing an investigation, talk about like a total... You know, you want to talk about a a witch hunt or sort of real wasted resources. You know, there are a lot of things to investigate. There are a lot of things that can be useful in government. Um, If John Durham was really just doing an investigation to talk about what are better policies and practices that the FBI could have and was depoliticizing it, I would have been all for that and said, great, you know what, there's no agency that can't use greater scrutiny. But this was trying to say that there's a big there there when, you know, there's no there there. Yeah, and that is Andrew Weissman. He was the the attack dog with the Mueller report because uh, Mueller did nothing and Weissman did everything. And he just said what a folly the dorm report is, which means he didn't read it or he didn't want to read it or he didn't want to get to the same conclusion that this whole thing was not worth invest- spending $1 on. It took $6.5 million to investigate this, hundreds of subpoenas and interviews, but it's a pretty thorough report. Uh, joining me now is Andy McCarthy. Uh, he's uh, in a, an undisclosed location at this moment. Uh, he's a U.S. attorney. Welcome uh, of the Southern District of New York, more importantly, a Fox News contributor. As somebody who wrote a book about collusion, about what went into this, what is your revelations with your takeaway from the Durham report? Do you really believe that Andrew Weissman means what he says? Never. I mean, you don't even have to tell me what topic we're talking about, and I could answer Did that. Did you hear what he just said? He's like, this whole yeah, thing is not worth it. Yeah. Yeah, you know, um, <laughs> I mean, these guys were all in cahoots together. What would, what would we expect them to say? You know, well, these are uh, these people who went over to the Mueller investigation. They went right from the Obama Justice Department that was working with the FBI on this stuff, and then they tootled over to Mueller's team. And we're, you know, do, uh, are we really going to take that seriously? I mean, the the Durham investigation is a pretty thorough indictment of of what the FBI did here. But I'd also note that, you know, in, just in terms of tone, uh, Durham, to, in reading this thing, um, plays it very straight, is complimentary of some of the things that were done in the Mueller investigation, is complimentary of the work that was done by the inspector general, and builds on it. So, you know, this idea that, uh, you know, he's he's a, a rabid partisan, the report does not read like rabid partisanship. It just doesn't. It shows that it was an unnecessary to have crossfire hurricane. It shows that this all started with Papadopoulos at a bar in the U.K., uh, then it spreads over to four people, Michael Flynn, it spreads to Papadopoulos, it goes to Carter Page, and it goes to Paul Manafort. 
And they never tell Donald Trump that four of his people, even though they're minor players, are being investigated. And then it finds out they never talk about the person who financed this was the DNC and Hillary Clinton, who were one and the same, to get Perkins Coie in order to get Glenn Simpson to go out there and hire Christopher Steele to go find out about links between Trump and Russia, in which there were none. Yeah, my only quarrel with uh with Durham, I mean, I think it's a, a superb report in the main. Um, my quarrel is one of his main findings is that the FBI didn't take seriously enough, essentially ignored um, the Russian intelligence that that we got in um, that our intelligence guys got in July of 2016 that indicated that the Russians had learned that Hillary had authorized a plan by her campaign to to portray Trump as a basically Putin's puppet. And I just reading Durham's findings and reading, you know, the the uh, narrative based on the evidence he developed, I just don't think that's what happened. I think um, far from ignoring it, uh, it seems to me that what Durham finds is that the FBI calculated that Clinton was going to be the next president. Uh, they were very intimidated by her. There were investigations where, unlike Trump, where they leapt in with both feet immediately and opened up a full-blown intelligence investigation. When stuff came in about her, they, uh, you know, they temporized, they hand-wrung, they waited 11 months, they gave her defensive briefings. They didn't do anything like they did with Trump because they expected her to win. Lisa Page tells Tr- Strzok when he's going to interview her in connection with the emails investigation. You know, tread lightly. She's going to be the next president. So I don't think the FBI ignored that Clinton had this strategy. I think they helped her implement it. Because so, yeah. to me, that's the only way you can explain the elementary things that you do in every investigation that they didn't do here. This was Clinton's plan, and they decided to go with the flow. I don't think they ignored it. The damage the damage done is unbelievable. And they say there's one scenario where the James Baker finds out from the Durham uh, investigator that Hillary Clinton uh, launched the dossier, launched this investigation, uh, launched this head fake on this Russia links to Trump. And John Brennan briefed Barack Obama on it. But John Brennan never told the FBI that this was Hillary Clinton was behind it and that he got emotional, James Baker, and stormed out and then came back and said, I would not have uh, I would not have supported this investigation had I known where it all started. Now, this is the same James Baker that uh, was running Twitter, uh, was their chief attorney with Twitter. And the Twitter files revealed the bias there. Yeah, I I think we're we're. um... There's two different people who say they didn't um, get this information when they should have had it. One was one of the lead investigators, and he's the one who left the room and got very aggravated. I think that Baker, you know, I mean, it depends on on how you want to look at this. I I, I don't believe him, frankly. Um, It's not that I don't believe that he was given this Russian reporting. Maybe he wasn't. But if he didn't know that there was a Clinton campaign strategy to portray Trump as a puppet of Putin, then he was the only one in America who didn't know that. And he took a meeting with Michael Sussman, who he knew, who was an old friend of his, who he knew to be Clinton's attorney, 
on a wink-wink basis, like, I'm not here on behalf of any client. I just um, I care about the country, so I want you to have this information. The information turns out to be totally bogus. Michael Sussman. Baker, Baker ends up referring it. Uh, this is the Alpha Bank stuff. Uh, but when the FBI gives it to its own investigators, it misrepresents to them who the information came from. They don't tell them it was Sussman. They claim it came from the Justice Department, which was just a complete lie. So I don't believe these guys when they say that, you know, this information is new to them. It, it, who in America didn't know that Clinton was trying to portray Trump as a as a Russian mole? Did you? I didn't know if it was in that in summer of 2016. I know I didn't. Um, that you, you didn't know that that Clinton, who I mean, the Clinton campaign, including Jake Sullivan, put out statements in September saying that, you know, finally, it's uh, when the Alpha Bank stuff came out. They said, finally, we're getting to the bottom. We, we certainly hope the FBI yeah. is going to chase down. the. You well, know, my the feeling was and then I didn't know then that they were behind it. I, I knew they thought it. I didn't know they like yeah, well, they generated it. Yeah, uh, I, I I must say, I mean, maybe it's because I'm uh, jaded after the watching the Clintons for 30 years, but um, I'm, I'm not the least bit surprised about anything. And, and the only thing, that, the only rational explanation, Brian, for the FBI not doing basic elemental investigative things, so, you know, I mean, they get this Clinton. Uh, Jim Comey gets this Clinton intelligence in August. By September, the FBI is writing a FISA warrant that says that Trump and Putin are in a conspiracy of cooperation. So they absolutely knew and, – and Comey signed off on the FISA warrant. So they absolutely knew this information, and they went with the flow. They, it, I don't think they were duped. I think they were – you know, Clinton was pushing on an open door. Interesting. Here's Andy McCabe, still in denial, cut six. John Durham made clear from the very beginning, shortly after he was appointed, exactly what he was going to conclude. He's made public remarks indicating that he thought that we had uh, possibly broken the law and inappropriately investigated the president, which is an odd thing for any uh, then U.S. attorney to do at the beginning of an investigation. Uh, he echoed the same sentiments of, the, of his boss, William Barr, who was attorney general at the time. So I don't think it's surprising where the, where the report came out. It's disappointing. Uh, and it continues to fuel a false narrative about uh, alleged FBI malfeasance that continues to this day, almost seven years after the events uh, in question. Maybe it fuels it because it happened and yeah. he was a part of it. He headed it up. He told Peter Strzok, name it and follow it. Go find Go go probe. And by the way, make sure you text how biased you are. Yeah. And, and for him to say that is just some gall, because in March of 2017, now, mind you, this is now. Six months or so into the investigation, they've gone back to the FISA court either two or three times by then um, and represented to them under oath that they, that they had evidence that Trump and Putin are in a conspiracy of cooperation. And they have by then interviewed Steele's source, who has told them that the dossier is complete nonsense. So this is after the FBI knows all that. Comey goes into the House of Representatives and gives public testimony confirming the existence of the counterintelligence investigation of Trump and suggesting that there'll be indictments wow. at the end of it. Besides that, Andy, I don't really think you know the case too well. Andy McCarthy, thanks so much. Stuart Varney next.
Now, the Brian Kilmeade Show joins Fox Business's Varney and Company with Stuart Varney, live on your radio and on Fox Business. Here's Brian Kilmeade. And we will be getting to your calls. I'll do a quick hit with Stuart Varney on FBN, one 408 7669 Then when he comes back, we'll do a few minutes together. We'll simulcast share audiences, and they'll be able to squeeze in some of your calls and comments. A lot of people are writing. I understand it because a lot of you listen to it as a podcast, BrianKillMeShow.com. You can download it wherever you get the podcast. And then I'll get these uh, a lot of correspondence and comments and critiques and compliments uh, overnight. So I'll be able to get to some of them when we come back. And I'm going to be talking about two, two things, but first and foremost, the dorm report. Let's listen. Brian Kilmeade, who joins us immediately. All right, Brian, we have the Durham report. Trump, in my, this is my opinion, Trump is vindicated, and I think Trump gains support after this report. What say you? I think so, too. And what is so amazing and pathetic is the Andrew Weissman, who really was the attack dog with the Mueller investigation, and Andy McCabe, who's the one who told Peter Strzok, go ahead and investigate. Money's no object. There's a link between uh, Trump and Putin. Uh, they're all in denial. They say it's a big nothing, nothing's there. I'm like, really? Did you read the 300 pages? Did you see what's in this? Did you see the opening sentence? Basically, the main difference between the IG report, which is devastating on the FBI by Horowitz, is that there was no legitimate reason to launch Crossfire Hurricane. No reason to do it. Now, think about this, Stuart. Anytime something was going good with the economy, unemployment around, uh, I would say inflation around 2%, unemployment uh, below 3%, trade deals, five or six of them, meetings with Kim Jong-un, controversy or not. These are news stuff, all buried with another Russia investigation and revelation. Every time, coming back from North Korea, coming back from G8s and G7s, all of a sudden, Donald Trump Jr. had a meeting with somebody who was linked somehow to a Russian to a, to a Russian official. We had Ambassador Haley was just in my studio. She said every time I was dealing with a world leader, there was a sense that the, Donald Trump was going to be impeached. They wanted to know what was going on. He said the Russian officials were laughing at her and saying there's chaos with America. I can't even deal with you guys. You know we didn't do any of this. And she didn't you, know what to make of it. You could understand why Donald Trump is mad as hell and speaking out about it. You can understand his anger because these people, they tried for the four years of his presidency to wreck his presidency, to undermine it and to undermine America. It was an absolute disgrace. I think it was the worst and dirtiest political trick in my lifetime. And I'm mad as hell about it. And I can understand Trump's position, too. Because it's anti-American. It's not anti-Republican or Trump. It's anti-American. I'm going to give you two things. Hillary Clinton knew she launched this whole lark with this Russian investigation, right? And she was a, got him as a candidate, got him as president-elect, and then uh, tried to uh, destroy his four years in office. And what did she say? He knows he's illegitimate. He knows he wasn't elected. Do you know you couldn't find someone on another network who would say even president was legitimately elected? And then you had, yeah. so you know she lied. And then yeah. you had uh, Joe Biden look right into the camera know that he's in the middle of an investigation. It got caught red-handed with his, with his son dropping the laptop off at that uh, repair station. He looked into the camera and said 51 Intel officials said that this laptop was classic Russian disinformation, knowing his voicemail was on it, knowing his emails were on it, knowing his son's pictures were legitimate and on it. And he looked right into that camera and lied, as Hillary Clinton did. Now, why are they getting a pass by this? And I hope moderates and independents and undecideds keep that in mind this time around. Got it. Now, listen to this one. 
Listen to what the governor of New York, Kathy Hochul, a Democrat, says about the migrant crisis. Watch this. Still high numbers are coming to New York State. And we already have over 61,000, over 40,000 houses in New York City. They're bursting at the seams, and Mayor Adams is doing the very best he can in a difficult situation. You're going to start seeing people living in tents, not just on the border, but in the streets of New York and across New York State, because we've reached a breaking point. Yeah, okay. She will never criticize the Biden administration. She wants federal taxpayer money to bail out New York with the migrants. She wants Florida and Texas to pay for the mistakes of New York and New York City. And they will never even consider removing the sanctuary status from the city. And that's a disgrace. It is. I got to give Mayor Adams credit. And I guess there's a fracture now between the mayor and the president. Because even though he doesn't go all the way, he goes 70 percent of the way and said... President Biden's policies at the border are causing chaos in his city. Why? You're a money guy, Stuart. You know what it's like to have a ledger. And you see it going red. And you see a lot of the most successful people in our state leaving because of the crime and because of the taxes. And you know I'm in the red. Taxes are high. And it's not because I am even have a chance to spend too much yet. It's because illegal immigrants need to be fed. They need to be housed. Exactly. They need to exactly. be taken care of. Yeah. 144 yeah. facilities have been converted. It's terrible. It's an absolute disgrace, and we're living in it. Uh, Brian, I wish we had more time. But yep. I don't. Thanks very much indeed. See it's you one soon. of those days, Stuart. Right. Thank you. Now this. Uh, and, of course, I'll be on uh, outnumbered a little bit later. So at 12 o'clock, you'll see me at the top of the hour. I'll put my jacket back on and we'll go. Tim, listening on Long Island. Hey, Tim. Hey, Brian. Love your show, sir. Appreciate Thank you. Uh, you taking my call. My family uh, met you out in Satoki years ago when you were doing the uh, George Washington Secret Six. So we, we love you. Oh, thanks, Tim. So, Appreciate it. Yeah, we, uh, as taxpayers, we're pretty fed up, sir. Uh, the Green Mile, Michael Clark Duncan had a great line. I'm tired, boss. And the taxpayers are really tired. Uh, all we hear is talk, 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 and there's zero action. And we're tired of it. And, and it's exhausting. And, you know, once we wake up and finally realize that we're paying for this dumpster fire, uh, you, know, we're, we're, you know, we're in a world of, of hurt here. And we're, we're just tired of it. And, and the thing is, and, sometimes, uh, Tim, you get hit by Hurricane Sandy and you say it's unfortunate. But what can I do? It's a natural occurrence. You know, uh, this is not a natural occurrence. These are man-made disasters. And you know it and you see it and it's so correctable. And they're just choosing not to. And they're choosing illegal immigrants from other countries over their legitimate American citizens that are trying to make a living, make ends meet, and know that their tax dollars are going to people they will never meet uh, because they're here illegally and they circumvented the system. And I know what you're talking about. It's not exhausting working through a crisis. It's exhausting working through a crisis that somebody could have prevented, but they actually all made it worse and, dare I say, created it. And that's what President Biden has done. Brian Kilmeade Show. From the Fox News Radio Studios in Midtown Manhattan, it's the fastest growing radio talk show. Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here from 48th and 6th in Midtown Manhattan. Heard around the country, around the world. Yes, below my building is the F train where all that controversy took place. And we'll be talking about that story, too, because for the first time, Danny Penny's lawyer spoke out. We'll be talking about Tony Gonzalez and others at the border doing desperate 
uh, going through desperate measures to alert everyone how bad things are and how much things have to change, even though they're trying to snow you at the White House. And Jake Tapper even admits what we all know. The Durham report reveals what we all knew, that this whole reason for the Russia investigation and the Mueller probe was unnecessary and the foundation of which goes 1-800-HILLARY-CLINTON. Carl Rove joins us now. We have a lot to discuss. Carl, welcome back. Thank you, pal. Glad your, to be back. Your walk away, your, your takeaway from uh, the the Durham probe. Well, uh, absolutely devastating. We, we, we you know, he's uh, he condemns the practices of the FBI. It says they basically relied upon suspect information uh, that they did not properly vet the information. Um, but you know, look, what's amazing to me is the focus so much to, over the last thirty six hours has been. And what has been done to clean up the FBI? And that's important. Don't get me wrong. But firing Jim Comey did a lot to, to, to clean up the FBI. And his replacement by Christopher Ray probably did as well. But we're ignoring, to a large extent, the fact that this all started with the Clinton campaign. Somebody inside the Clinton campaign got a hold of this idea, hires Mark Elias, then with the Perkins Coy law firm, who then goes out and, hi- and hires Fusion GPS, uh, Glenn Simpson, who turns around and hires, you know, the Steele character, Christopher Steele, who who goes out and talks to lots of lunatics and, and concocts this report, and 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 there's there's lots of subterfuge here. Mark Elias hides the fact that he is p- taking money from the DNC and the Clinton campaign and paying Fusion GPS. He bills it as legal services, nine point two million dollars during this period of time, and we. You know, a bunch of it goes there. And then inside the Clinton campaign, it's compartmentalized. We now know John Podesta, a key advisor to Clinton, and her campaign manager, Robbie Mook, know nothing about this. So there's a there's an intelligence operation being run inside the Clinton campaign, a disinformation campaign. And, and, and they're even hiding the fact from some of the key advisors at the top of the campaign, including the manager. John Podesta's email was hacked. Hillary Clinton's emails were released because she was using a private server famously. They wanted to quickly change the narrative, hence the launch of let's go tar Trump with a link to Russia that didn't exist. Yep. And they were helped in this by a former British intelligence agent, uh, Christopher Steele, and by the by the oppo research firm of Fusion GPS, a former journalist named uh, Glenn Simpson uh, named. Yeah, Glenn Simpson, and and I mean it's just amazing to me how how you know we have we have no we have Pulitzer Prize winners uh, on the basis of this, and nobody in the, in, in journalism, very few people are like Jay Tapper saying, "Hey, we were taken," and we have the Clinton campaign that began this. I mean, she is keeping a very low profile, but you cannot tell me this was not done without the knowledge of Hillary Clinton and other people at the top of her campaign, and they they deliberately compartmentalized it oh, so that few yeah. people knew about it. Uh, she absolutely did. Remember, she bailed at the DNC. Uh, because they had no money. She says, when I took over and won the nomination, there was no money there, so she supplied it, and the DNC basically worked for her. Bernie Sanders still not over it. So when you talk about awards, I looked it up. Edgar Allan Poe Award, best fact crime book, was to BuzzFeed for their pursuit of the uh, Russia investigation. 2019, specialization in uh, in journalism. New York Times reporters, they list them. Same thing with the Washington Post. George Polk Award went to the Washington Post. They list four different reporters there. 
So everyone got awards uh, for this work that ends up being total fiction. If you weren't duped, you were part of the process, and you were part of the people that deceived. But some people aren't convinced. I want you to hear Andrew McCabe, cut five, who's still at CNN mysteriously. John Durham is wrong. Uh, and it's not just uh, me that says that. Every other entity that's investigated um, our, in our activities in 2016 agrees. And that's, of course, as you mentioned, uh, the DOJ uh, Inspector General, Michael Horowitz. Michael Horowitz didn't say that, that, uh, that uh, Durham was wrong. He said there was a reason for the investigation, but the investigation went off rails and there was nothing there. The difference well, he, between Horowitz went, went, and Durham yeah, was Durham went, said no investigation. Yeah. No, no. Horowitz goes even further, and he says the FBI ignored fundamental rules of the agency when they went after Carter Page and getting the Pfizer request. And they and, and what, what, what world is Andrew McCabe living in? The chief judge, the chief judge of the Pfizer court, went out of her way to excoriate the handling of this issue by the FBI. And McCabe is covering his posterior in this. He was up to it to his eyeballs. In fact, look. He should have professionally, given his inclinations, how strongly he was for Hillary Clinton, how his wife was a political candidate, he should have recused himself from this. And instead, he's in the middle of all of this. So but, but pardon me if I, if, if I am aghast at, at Andrew McCabe saying, you know, Mino Alamo, that's the Mino Alamo defense. I want, you know, we had nothing to do with this, uh, this crisis. We had nothing to do with bringing this all on. Yes, you did. Michael Sussman dropping this off to James Baker of the FBI. I just want to say as a good citizen, I found out about this linkage with the Alpha Bank and Donald Trump, which didn't exist, by the way. They go start running with it, and they said, wow, more proof of uh, Donald Trump being in cahoots with Vladimir Putin. So I want you to hear Andrew Weissman, who led the Mueller report. Cut eight. And when you have the IG already doing an investigation, talk about like a total you know, you want to talk about a, a witch hunt or sort of real wasted resources. You know, there are a lot of things to investigate. There are a lot of things that can be useful in government. Um, if John Durham was really just doing an investigation to talk about what are better policies and practices that the FBI could have and was depoliticizing it, I would have been all for that and said, great, you know what, there's no agency that can't use greater scrutiny. But this was trying to say that there's a big there there when, you know, there's no there there. Anyone said the whole investigation was a big nothing, which is yeah. he knows. Well, do you think he knows better? Yeah, read the 17 pages of guidance in the report, in, in the Durham report, about what they need to do to improve the procedures inside. And, I mean, think about this. Think about this. How, how, this is a sign of, the, of, I hate to use the word corruption, in, in the high levels of the FBI, or at least a disregard for, the, for what ought to be the practices of the FBI. Remember Bruce Orr? Yep. Bruce Orr's wife is working for Fusion GPS. He's in the FBI, and he is, like, repeating this stuff without saying, oh, incidentally, my wife is on the payroll of the Clinton campaign. Instead, he's handing this information over as if it was, you know, it really critical, you know, unbiased uh, information. I mean, come on, please. You, you, these people were associated with what was once a grand and important agency in our federal government, the Federal Bureau of Investigation. And now they're covering up for their own mistakes by glossing over grave defects in procedure and application of policy that we all ought to be aghast at. I, I just don't know where, where you go from here. Now, Christopher Ray says, I looked at this, and I've, I've already made the changes that they recommended. Do you believe that? 
Well, I, I want to I want to examine a little bit more, and this might be you know the House or Senate Judiciary Committee or both saying, okay, you know we've examined this. Come on in, let's have it to have some testimony and ask you some questions about it. But but I, I hope he has. I hope he has because this is a dark blot. Uh, on our political, uh, on our on our system of government, and on our political, uh, you know, campaigns and elections, because this is this is not should be, this should not be taking place. Now I you know I lay a lot of the blame at the guy who was dead at the top of all of this, James Comey, because Comey took roles unto himself that as the director of the FBI he shouldn't have. For example, it was not up to him to decide whether or not Hillary Clinton should be charged over her private email server. It was the main justice. It was Department of Justice that had that right. We do not want people who are investigating crimes to have the right to make decisions about charging. That's been a fundamental premise of our system of jurisprudence since the beginning of our country. And yet he decided he could. And then he intrudes himself into the end of the campaign. But he is atop this whole corrupt system in which people are you know, relying upon, in essence, a political, an oppo-political uh, effort being paid for by a presidential campaign against its opponent. That's where this all comes from. Yeah, he, you know, this guy is, did so much damage. I remember the previous administration, your administration, uh, when he was uh, hiding behind a curtain with John Ashcroft. This guy, as as people have said, he's a, he's a showboat. This guy has an extremely high opinion of himself, and it, yeah. it played out again. So uh, I want to move on, if I can, talk about 2016. And President Trump now has about a 20-point lead in most polls. I know how early it is and how, how, how other leaders that were uh, were on top early. Jeb Bush was up early. Here's what Larry Hogan says, why it's getting, why it's getting late early. Cut 43 about DeSantis. You talked about Ron DeSantis coming in. I mean, he, you know, he's been trying to out-Trump Trump, and that's not going to work. I mean, it's like, why would you settle for... You know, Robin, when you can have Batman, it's like, you know, it's you've got to take Trump on and not just be a younger, smarter version of Trump. What's your reaction to his version of reality? Well, you know, Ron DeSantis is is, I think, wisely, at least what we know from Iowa is he wants to run as Ron DeSantis. You know, yeah, maybe early on with his comment about Ukraine, that that that, that you know, he's, it's a territorial dispute when, when, you know, that 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 was trying to out Trump Trump. But now that he's becoming a candidate, he has realized, obviously, that he needs to be Ron DeSantis and not somebody else. You do not. Larry Hogan is right. You do not become president by being somebody other than who you are. The authenticity of who you are matters. And, uh, you know, everybody gets to make mistakes. I'm going to chalk that early thing on Ukraine up as a mistake. Let's see how well he does now that he's getting into the contest. I will say this. It's been remarkable what one small visit to Iowa has done. Beforehand, it was like, oh, man, he's a terrible candidate. Look how terrible he's getting off to a start. He goes to Iowa, has a pretty good day. And people say, wow, look at this, a miracle of miracles. He seems to actually be have a shot at this. We are very early in the contest. It's not just Jeb Bush who was ahead. It was Rudy Giuliani was ahead. Newt Gingrich was ahead before 30 days before they started voting in, in, in Iowa. Hillary Clinton, remember her in 2008? She was going to be the nominee. All 2007, she led this. She was leading the field, and this guy Barack Obama was running about you know half of you know half the way behind her. And, and there's plenty of time for things to happen. What amazes me is 
Donald Trump helped lower the expectations for Ron DeSantis by spending so much time going after him, saying he's inauthentic, doesn't have a personality, desanctimonious, et cetera, et cetera. He lowered expectations. And one of the reasons that, that uh, the governor of Florida looks, looks good after Iowa was the, the former president had lowered the expectations that he was going to be an utter disaster when he entered the campaign. Right. And this is how he's attacking Trump. And tell me if this was I don't think this is a successful way to attack President Trump or so far. I haven't seen anything work. Cut 41. And at the end of the day, governing is not about entertaining. Governing is not about building a brand or, or, or talking on social media and virtue signaling. It's ultimately about winning and about producing results. So, you know, who he's shooting at there, but he's not using his name. Does that work? Well, it, 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 it could. Let's, let's be clear about this. Building a campaign is about creating a narrative, yep. about building point upon point, block upon block, until you have made your case. When Ronald Reagan said in, in 1980, you feel you're better off today than you were four years ago, it wasn't that that was the first time that he said that and sort of everybody said, great. It was that he had built a case against Jimmy Carter, that he had failed on inflation, that he'd failed in the world, that America was weaker, that our economy was was uh, messed up, that people felt poorer, uh, that re- interest rates were too high, unemployment too high. He built point upon point in a narrative so that he could conclude by saying – you feel better off than you were four years ago. So the question is going to be, does DeSantis add weight to that by saying, here's what I've done, here's what should have been done and wasn't done. You're right, though. He needs to make a case against uh, the former president. It's just that you don't need to come out at the beginning and take a two-by-four to your opponent. You need to develop some credibility. He has some innate credibility. People look at Florida and say, hey, sounds like things are going good in Florida. The more they know about what he's done in Florida and the more they know about what he wants to do for the future of the country, the better off he is in building this contrast with the former president. I resent this statement given over the weekend by the president. I just think it's so divisive. Cut 40. 40. To stand up against the poison of white supremacy, as I did my inaugural address to a single out as the most dangerous terrorist threat to our homeland is white supremacy. And he says, I don't just say that to a black HBCU, historically black college, you have to say black twice. I mean, if if there's a better definition of pandering that is totally inaccurate. Yeah, look, uh, we've seen this. This is why the guy's ratings are so poor. He was going to be the guy that was us, and he was going to be the straight shooter. And he has been anything but. And this is just one more example of him trying to pit American against American, and you're right, pandering. This, you know, think about it. Last in the 2022 election, we had the White House saying, "Okay, well, we know we really don't have the authority to do so, but we're going to wipe out a large amount of student debt." And you know why we're doing it? It's because we want to juice Democratic turnout among younger voters in the 2022 midterms. I mean, talk about you know cynical. We're going to, you know, it's 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 Rome. We're it's bread and circuses. We're going to buy people off, and this. A speech at Howard where he goes out of his way to say the biggest threat to America is the, is the threat of white supremacy. I mean, what country is he living in? I know. What country is he living in? Not the United States of America, where we are all where where the vast majority of the people are striving towards the dream of Martin Luther King of a country in which you are judged by the color not not by the color of your skin but by the content of your character. 
And and yet he's the president. He ought to be lead, helping lead us in that struggle. And instead, it's like, you know, I'm here in front of a black audience. So I'm going to tell you the biggest threat you face is white supremacy. Right. And the thing is, he knows better because he was at 28 years old. He was a lawmaker. There was 10 years after separate but equal, the 60s and the civil unrest. He knows how far we've come. It is totally irresponsible. Call Rove. Thanks so much. You bet. Thanks right. for having me. You got it. one 408 7669 Your call's next. Don't forget, top of the hour, on out number. Don't move. Brian Kilmeade Show. Learning something new every day on the Brian Kilmeade Show. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Hey, let's go to Stephen WLAD in Bethel, Connecticut. Hey, Stephen. Good morning, Brian. What's Thank on your you mind? Your service. Thank you for your service for this country and telling the truth. Thank you. First off, very quickly, um, now that all these state universities and colleges are shut down, they have the rooms, they have the facility to cook, they have bathrooms, showers ready-made. We should send them to Georgetown, Harvard, Cambridge, Berkeley, all these schools that are pushing this wokeness and illegal immigration into this country. Hey, it's interesting, Stephen, because right now they're sticking them into grammar schools and high schools and run-down areas of New York City, or, or I would say working-class areas of New York City. They always do it. The sponsor families are located in places like Brentwood, Long Island, a place not like Brentwood in California that is working class, heavily Hispanic, so they don't put it into these rich areas. That's why it was so important what DeSantis did. Said, hey, you know those illegal immigrants you want us to have a big heart with? Here they come, right to Martha's Vineyard. Good luck with that. And they quickly called the military to save it. But I love that idea. Stephen, good job, WLID. When we come back, I'll be joined by Ian Bremer, president of Eurasia Group, author of the New York Times bestseller, The Power of Crisis, how three threats, how three threats in our response will change the world. I'll ask Ian Bremmer about the would-be offensive in Ukraine, the Turkey elections, and so much more. Radio that makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hey, welcome back. It's always great to have Ian Bremer on, the president of Eurasia Group and author of the New York Times bestseller, The Power of Crisis. Ian, welcome. Hey, good to be with you, Brad. Hey, uh, Ian, let's, before we go any further, let's, um, let's talk about what's happening in Ukraine. We understand another hypersonic missile was knocked down by a patriot. And when I asked Admiral Stravitas that last week, he said, basically, we got lucky. What's going on here? Um, I, you know, there was a question of whether the hypersonic missiles are actually being launched at hypersonic speed or just have that capability. I've seen the military, um, U.S. military analysts asking that question. Obviously, it's great that we have the Patriots stood up um, in Ukraine. They have been able to contest uh, the skies and inbound. We've seen a lot of missiles getting knocked down that otherwise would be hitting Kiev and civilian infrastructure. And so, I mean, Ukrainians are alive today that wouldn't be uh, because of the defenses that are being stood up by the United States and allies. It's a really big deal. And uh, I'm personally gratified that we're doing it. What about the long range missiles the UK are given? Uh, So it's interesting. Uh, I've had conversations in the United States recently that um, the uh, the view in the Biden administration 
is that Putin's red lines are not on on what he'll do if the U.S. Uh, and, and allies provide military equipment are not to be taken seriously. Um, in other words, there's much less concern that if we are giving advanced missile systems, tank systems, advanced aircraft, we're not going to we're not going to hold back on that because we're scared that Putin is going to take some kind of escalatory measures against NATO. And that was not the view, say, six months ago. So in part, it's the gloves coming off. In part, it's the boiling frog. You get used to the temperature going up, and then you do the next thing, and then you do the next thing. But the Ukrainian government and the president himself have also privately guaranteed the Brits that they would not be using these new missiles to target um, uh, inside Russian territory itself. In other words, Crimea, sure. Occupied Ukrainian territory, yes. Russian equipment in all those places, yes. But not, but not going after centers in Russia, which you know is something that the Brits had been and have been uh, concerned about. Does that mean attackums, American attackums, longer range missiles could be next? They go past Timars. I think so, uh, but I know that part of the problem with attackums, Brian is the feeling that the Americans actually didn't have suitable numbers to start sending them over. So I can tell you that the Americans were perfectly comfortable with the U.K. system being sent to Ukraine, that that was discussed before the decision was made. Um, and, and I expect that if the numbers are – if it's considered that there isn't a problem just in the production lines, I fully expect that the Americans will also provide That'll be interesting how the, the bear, you know, NATO can't lose here. And uh, there's just no way there's, they can't lose. The ramifications would be uh, catastrophic. Don't you agree? Um, I think what's clear is that the Russians can't win. Um, if you ask me, I mean, the definition of winning and losing is so critical here. So I, I, I don't see a scenario in the near future, in the foreseeable future, where the Ukrainians get back all of the land that has been illegally taken by Russia, not just since February 24th, but since 1994, Um, excuse me, since 2014. Um, I I don't believe that that's likely to happen. But I think that Ukraine is going to get massive funds to reconstruct its country uh, post-war. I think that Ukraine will get security guarantees from NATO allies, a la what Japan gets or Israel gets, that will help ensure that Russia will not get a second bite at that apple. I think that sanctions uh, against Russia will stay very high, and they will be economically punished for what they've done. I think some of Russian assets will be seized and that have been frozen before and will be used for reconstruction. And I also think that Ukraine will be brought into the European Union. So if you add all of that up, with the courageousness of the Ukrainians fighting against Russia for the last 14, 15 months now, um, that to me doesn't feel like NATO is losing. That feels like Russia is losing, and that feels like Ukraine is you know, getting back on its feet again. And, but, Ian, and, and it's, some, yeah. but right now, as of this moment, they have 17 percent of Ukrainian land. I Correct. mean, the Ukrainians think, are about to go on a counteroffensive. Yep. What is tolerable? Well, look, none of this is tolerable. I mean, eight million refugees is not tolerable. Tens of thousands of war crimes, not tolerable. 
the uh, 40,000 Ukrainian civilians dead, is that tolerable? Brian, I think you and I would say that's not tolerable, and yet the Ukrainians have had to deal with it. Um, I do believe that the Ukrainian counteroffensive will lead to some significant land being retaken. There are right now three different um, defense, defensive lines that have been set up by the Russians, dug in in Ukrainian territory. And NATO leaders believe that in the counteroffensive, the Ukrainians will be able to break through one or perhaps two of those lines, which will bring them closer to breaking the Russian land bridge to Crimea and will allow them with an easy artillery distance to continually threaten that land bridge. And that would put Ukraine in a meaningfully better position if negotiations were to start on the on the back of that counteroffensive. Is that tolerable? I mean, Brian, you and I are not in a position to say what's tolerable for the Ukrainians. I think we can both admit that. Right. So the Chinese now, uh, uh, we're not we don't have a problem with the Chinese trying to broker a peace deal. Now, how why the Ukrainians would ever agree to peace when they're on the precipice of their counteroffensive? I don't know. Are you comfortable with the U.S. just acquiescing this role? No, I'm not comfortable with an acquiescence. I am comfortable that if we get to a point where negotiations are going to start and the Ukrainians need to be on board with that, obviously, since they're the ones whose land we're talking about, then I believe that you're not going to have any negotiation that's effective with the Russians if no one is talking to the Russians. And the Americans are not talking to the Russians, the Germans, the Brits, the Canadians. They're not talking to the Russians. The people that are talking to the Russians are the Turks, the Chinese, the Indians, the United Nations Secretary General. And and the Chinese have expressed a willingness both to Putin as well as to Zelensky to play a role. And, you know, when when Xi Jinping belatedly phoned up Zelensky after his trip to Moscow on the anniversary of the Chernobyl disaster, they spoke for an hour and, and the Ukrainians did not reject the idea of a Chinese role in eventual discussions and eventual negotiations. So I, I think if the Ukrainians are OK with that, um, realistically speaking, I, I think that the United States and NATO uh, need, need to facilitate it. Well, they yeah, they are, they are clearly the influential person uh, country for Russia. But to sit there as the referee, to me, doesn't seem uh, logical. Uh, no, you're right. Look, Brian, they can't be, they can't be the referee yeah. in the sense that they are not in any way honest brokers. But, I mean, the United States isn't an honest broker on Israel-Palestine. But we have historically believed that the United States still plays a critical role in trying to bring those countries together. I would not trust that any peace deal brokered solely by the Chinese would have any possibility of succeeding between Russia and Ukraine. I also believe that the Chinese are likely to have a role to play. And what the difference is between those, those two very different outcomes, I suspect, is going to be a matter of very significant discussion, including a discussion that has already started between uh, the National Security Advisor, Jake Sullivan, and his counterpart in Vienna, uh, the Chinese, uh, last week. How do you feel about us getting back into talks with a country that sent a spy balloon over our country, is threatening us for uh, entertaining the Taiwanese president that is infiltrating into South uh, Central and South America like they've been doing? 
Uh, and now when they decide that they don't want our secretary of state in, it seems like we're begging them to talk. Do you like that stance? I, I, I don't trust them. Um, but I also think that we need to be engaged. I mean, with the when the Americans and the Soviets in the depth of the Cold War, we were talking regularly. And I, I don't like the idea that for the last two and a half years during the pandemic, there was virtually no regular communication between the two largest economies of the world. We don't have to like each other, but we have to engage. Um, and it's not just because we need to work together on climate change for the good of humanity. Um, it, it, it's also because we have issues that we need each other for. Uh, U.S.-China trade today, Brian, is at its highest levels in history. And that's not because we like China. That's because we get a lot of stuff from the Chinese and they trade a lot with the United States. It's not a, no matter what you think, it's not about to go away. So, you know, the idea that, you, you know, you could be married to somebody, you can really dislike them, you can really distrust them. But if you've got kids, you're going to engage with them. Right. And that's kind of the way we are with the Chinese right now. But how you get in gives you the leverage or not. So now we're engaging. They refused because they said, well, we don't like talking. Uh, if because when we talk, we don't like the way you're acting. So whatever that means as you uh, in Chinese philosophy. But when you look at what they're doing, too, what we're trying to do with our CHIPS Act, they're now trying to become their own provider when it comes to chips. Will they be able to pull it off? We don't know. Um, I mean, you talk to the leading experts on semiconductors in the United States, and they are of different minds on whether the Chinese will be able to catch up in the sum, like two to three generations, they are behind with TSMC and America's allies, let's say South Korea, the Netherlands right now. China's way behind. The Americans are belatedly putting big investment into building out um, that industry in the U.S. And we also need to go beyond that. We need to invest better in STEM education, and we need to invest better in visas for the talent that we need to staff uh, these factories. So you need the ecosystem. You can't just build the plants because if you have the plants but not you know, the line for the people that are going to work them, we're right. going to have problems. And we've ignored this for 20 years. Lastly, we've, 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 allowed, we've allowed this industry to get hollowed out from the U.S. We did the same thing on semiconductors that the Germans did with gas and basically gave that national security to Russia, and we're finally addressing it. And, we, and, and Taiwan. And lastly, how much damage was done in the last 45 seconds to the Russia-U.S. relations because of this whole, uh, this whole Russia investigation into Trump? Now we find out between the Durham probe and others that it didn't, there was no there there? Yeah, I, I'm obviously – I was never comfortable um, with this notion of Russian collusion. I mean there were people uh, like uh, Trump's old electoral advisor that had close you know, illegal connections with the Russians. But there was never evidence um, that, uh, that Trump personally was involved in that way, and I thought that that was uh, made clear uh, by the Mueller report. But belatedly, and it's obvious that there were political efforts to drive that conversation, and that was inappropriate. I'm glad this finally came out. Yeah, damage was done during that time because no talks were taking place because nobody trusted each other. Ian I Bremmer, agree. always great. Thanks so much, Ian. Thank you, fine. Yeah, uh, don't forget, outnumbered at the top of the hour, and we'll find out even more information. More to know coming up next. Brian Kilmeade Show. Listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. 
Hey, welcome back. In a matter of moments, I'm going to be up on Outnumbered. You'll see me on television. But until then, I think it's time to find out if there's more to know. Let's start in baseball. More to know. Sponsored by Spirits Capital Corporation. Barreled whiskey is the cash cow of industry insiders. But now you, too, can invest in premium American whiskey as it ages. Go to caskdeeds.com, C-A-S-K-Deeds.com to learn more. Paid for by Spirits Capital Corporation. Well, let me say, let me bring it to the Yankees-Blue Jays game. You know, the Yankees are in a very tough division. They're eight games back at Tampa. They just split a four-game set. But meanwhile, Aaron Judge is finally healthy again, hit two home runs in the last two days. But listen to the broadcasters. They don't like the fact that Aaron Judge keeps looking into the dugout. Listen. All right, Buck. So you and I looked at each other at the same moment right when we saw this three pitches ago. Watch what he's looking at. Where is he looking? Where is he looking? And he did it more than once. Yeah. Yeah. It's really, really unusual. He couldn't see the catcher with the way he was looking right there. Yeah, just did it again. Mile for his second home run of the night. Third time this season that Aaron Judge hit two homers in a game, and once again he's looking at something. And then the next move is that powerful swing, and he blasts one to center. So he had two home runs. The Yankees were winning seven nothing, going to win seven to four. He said that he wasn't looking at signs. He was looking to find out why the chirping kept continuing from the bench, even though. Uh, Aaron Boone was already tossed out, and people were complaining. Uh, people were complaining about balls and strikes. So that's what he was doing. I guess they assumed that he was cheating by looking in the dugout, and they would flash him what kind of pitch was coming. I don't even know. I mean, I've never even heard this before. Yeah, I guess that would be the assumption, but that's, I guess, part of the gamesmanship. Because right. think about it. When you have a runner on second base, how many times does the catcher have to come out and change the signs because the runner at second base will pick up the signs and relay it to the batter? There's nothing in the rules against that. We'll find out next. Martha Stewart lands an historic Sports Illustrated swimsuit cover issue. Let's listen to the 81-year-old. Usually I'm motivated by pay, but this time I was motivated by showing people that a woman my age can still look good, feel good, be good, blah, blah, blah. When I heard that I was going to be on the cover of Sports Illustrated Swimsuit, I thought, oh, well, that's pretty good. I'm going to be the oldest person, I think, ever on a, on a cover of Sports Illustrated. All right, I get enough. You know, can we, do you have to ruin everything? Why do we need to see Martha Stewart on the cover of Sports Illustrated? She's done nothing. She's not an athlete, hasn't helped out sports. I hear she's not even a nice person. Like, Betty White was worshipped. People thought she was great and she was funny. Does she need another accolade? Would you have liked to see, when she was alive, Betty White on the cover then? So she was nice? Nicer person. Next, Dave Portnoy, founder of Barstool, notices this at the airport, and we can all relate. So I'm flying commercial with Cazelio bankrupting me. i got to be honest, I don't get people like this. Who puts their buddy on speaker like this? It's crazy. Does he even hear me talking about him? Like, just take it off speaker, put it in your phone. It's basic human decency. As George Costanza said, we're living in a society. Makes no sense. You know, we're living in a society. (laughs) We're supposed to act in a civilized way. Exactly. So... That is annoying, but it's crazy to be on a speakerphone. You really want everyone to hear what you're saying? Not only that, I, I was on the train early this morning, and somebody had their speakerphone on, whatever they were looking at. We all heard it, and the person was looking at, a, 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 having a question asked, should older people get facials? 
and then we get to hear the answer of this. Unbelievable. They, I don't need to hear this idiots. at 4.30 in the morning. Oh, you don't have to hear it ever. Yeah. I cannot stand when people talk loud on the train. I'm on the train every day, too. I mean, just keep your mouth shut. I and if you say, have a friend, I mean, just, I don't want to hear what's going on in your life. Yeah, early in the morning, I will say the trains I take are quiet yeah, except for the random person on their speaker. Who doesn't speaker. understand or doesn't care. Lives in a very selfish world. Uh, like the old, like the Eric used to be. He's not like that anymore. Good I job, don't know. Eric. I, he may still be like that. You just really? don't know everything. Okay, that's true. You are behind the glass. Next, DeMar Hamlin wins the NFL George Hallis Award for overcoming adversity. Uh, pretty amazing that he's come all the way back. We all know that story. What about this? WWE legend Billy Superstar Graham on life support. His wife Valerie shared an update. Please, urgent prayers for my husband. He's a fighter and his will is strong, even if his body isn't. He's got a GoFundMe page out there. Remember, he went into the Hall of Fame in 2004. He had a big rivalry with Bruno San Martino. Yep. Admitted to using ring. steroids. Yep. He actually broke his foot walking off a curb. That's how fragile he was. He took a lot of it. But he had a very similar build to me. But they accused me of using steroids. I'm a natural. Superstar Brian Kilmeade. Thank you. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, in these ever-changing times, you can rely on Fox News for hourly updates for the very latest news and information on your time. Listen and download now at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.